Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's going on, guys? I'm so excited about today's interview uh, with our very special guest. She is a content creator that I have been following for quite some time now. She's actually one of my favorite content creators. Um, you can find her on TikTok. Her, her handle is at Pathworking, and I'm going to put that in the description for this video as well. You can also find her online, um, and that link will be there also. But yeah, no, super interesting conversation. She's an extraordinary person. And like I said, her content is something that I've been obsessed with for a long time, and we get into some really interesting stuff. So let's get into it. Okay, I'll, I'll put a little intro in before, um, before everything, but just real quick, walk us through again some of the stuff that we just talked about, just your background, um, just kind of let them know your, your history working with um, psychology and therapy, um, some of the stuff that you have going on, a little bit of your, your spiritual beliefs, how that's impacted your, your approach to being a human in this crazy world, and let's, let's get into it. I'm excited. Yeah, well, thank you. And um, a little bit about my background. Um, I guess I've been um, a lifelong mystic. I guess I can say that first and foremost. Um, I was raised in an environment of people that were religious, but also spiritual in like a charismatic way. So I had an experience of almost touching the divine in a way when I was young and um, in repeated incidences. So it kind of uh, inspired me that even as I got older and I was starting to move away from traditional religion, that I still always knew there was something there. You know, there was something more, um, something beyond the veil that was powerful and that I'd experienced personally and so that you couldn't deny it to me. Um, but what it was, I didn't really know. You know, once I stopped um, really listening to the people that were trying to tell me what it was within those religious contexts. So um, my seeking, I started looking into all sorts of different things. Once I um, was moving away from traditional religion, it was looking into different things involving psychology, right? Trying to understand the mind and the consciousness according to its biological right aspects, first and foremost, and then just trying to get gain um, all the information that currently exists on that. Yeah. Um, and then um, comparative religious studies beyond that, right? Looking at all these other different traditions and what do they believe? And um, when I would look closely, what I would find is that there's a lot of overlap when it came to the mystical aspects of things. There were some core aspects to mystical experience, um, and that just really fascinated me. So um, as I moved through my education, right, my schooling, I started in social work, undergraduate social work. Um, from there, went into working with women and children in a homeless transitional living program, supporting their substance um, abuse treatment program. So I did that for a number of years. And I went, went back to school, ended up getting my degree in psych, but I went to um, Goddard College in Vermont, which is a um, progressive education. It's like an individualized education type program where you can design your own curriculum. 
And for psych, it's great because as long as you meet your state regulations with all the different courses that you have to take and you design it exactly as you need to, like from there, you can add on whatever you want to, whatever your passion or interest is. And the mentors and the advisors there will just help you nurture whatever it is. So I was lucky enough that when I was in grad school, I got to go deep into um, like things like epigenetics, you know, quantum psychology, energy psychology, um, all sorts of things involving. Um, I wrote my thesis on reconsidering the nature of consciousness. Oh, that's, right? that's got to be interesting. Yeah. Right. So just like transpersonal psychology, you know, like all of that um, type of thing was my whole focus um, in my grad school program. And I think that's very unusual for anyone to have <laughs> that in their grad school pro program, unless you're going to Naropa or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I got the opportunity to do some really, really cool, like intensive study into different areas based on my own inspirations, like sound wave therapy, looking at frequencies of sound, isochronic tones, binaural beats. Like I went in all these different places and um it was it was really inspired, I think, by that initial understanding once you start getting into psychology of the the mind brain problem or the mind body problem mm, that you yeah. find the causation of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And experientially, it seems that um, the causation of consciousness with all the psychological anomalies that we find, it doesn't seem to be something that is just a manifest um, me mechanical action that comes from the operations of the brain. Sure. It just doesn't seem, at least when we have psychological anomalies like people waking up from comas speaking completely different languages than the ones they spoke when they went in, like we we obviously don't understand mind or learning you know to its fullest if that's possible right, right. so then you into looking in like a rupert sheldrake and these ideas of morphogenetic fields and this idea of consciousness being something that we tap into right like tune into like radios tuning into our own frequency right but then sometimes you can cross over and get somebody else's frequency right and that's can can explain maybe some of these psychological anomalies if we can reconsider the nature of consciousness as existing in a different way. And I think epigenetics was always something that I felt like was kind of part of that too, in one way or another, how that all plays in and the operations of like full cellular consciousness. Um, so yeah, that's my uh, academic background right that was like the passion for for learning that that i filled my head <laughs> with all this book knowledge and information but i think that beyond that most of what i find to be the most valuable in my toolbox is my experiences sure. you know that Absolutely. happened whether that be the experiences from the one-on-ones of having um you know hundreds of counseling clients you know over the years i worked at methadone clinics i worked at um transitional living programs i worked at youth programs so i did a lot of work where it was just constantly seeing clients and um sort of absorbing the information that they were giving me helping to use the information that i was getting to create you know whatever dynamic i could to assist them and then also um after a while, sort of realizing that the the 
container that I had to use at the time wasn't going to work, right? And so needing to leave that clinical work, needing to leave um, sort of the ethical dilemmas and things that were all part of it. And kind of going forward, um, after 2017, I closed my clinical practice. I closed my halfway house um, and I started traveling. I actually spent three months in Jamaica and then um, I started traveling doing retreats. So I was really inspired by what I was finding to be working, um, which if you're looking into some of the research when it comes to um, psychedelic treatments, so we're talking psilocybin, we're talking ayahuasca, ibogaine, these have been found in the research to dramatically help people who have had conditions that have been untreatable, whether it be like chronic depression, anxiety, PTSD, addictions issues. Oftentimes when people are having these experiences, they are going through just one experience and on the other side being completely transformed. Um, and and yet, right, we live in a country where these are schedule one, believed to have no medical benefits. And so that was a tough sort of um, dilemma, right? So um, being somebody who's a professional, you know, from the clinical world, I don't want to do anything that's going to get me professionally in trouble. But at the same time, when it comes to my ethics, right, like, I want to do the things that are the most effective, yeah. you know, if it's ethically right to give somebody something that can help them, somebody who's terminally ill, who's dying and struggling with an existential crisis could absolutely benefit from these things. And it could bring them peace and it could bring them um, comfort. Like there's no reason um, I feel like we should be as a country, you know, preventing people from accessing these things. So I did my best, you know, I, I've traveled a lot. I've spent a lot of time in Jamaica. I've spent a lot of time in Mexico, you know, like places where it is legal. Um, but also that recognition that people here deserve it too. So um, I spent a number of years just focusing on traveling, doing retreats and helping people get access to these medicines and, the witnessing, witnessing what is capable of, you know, like that's one of the things I feel so blessed that I've had the privilege of witnessing what these medicines are capable of doing for people to actually sit and watch it. It's like, wow. Like I, I just feel like it's a privilege to be there. Um, and as somebody, so my personal experience with them, I spent 40 days in isolation, like completely alone. Oh, wow. 40 days in the woods, okay. like in, um, in a cabin, you know, like the shamanic way and yeah. um, dosing uh, on the mushrooms every three days, increasingly okay. each, each three days. Okay. Uh, and that's really how I formed my personal relationship, right? That makes me feel comfortable to guide other people through theirs. Um, but it also was such a transformative experience for me, you sure. know, like I, I went through and I dealing with all sorts of childhood traumas and you know like different aspects of who I am you know what what motivates me to be you know what what I, to do what I do you know like all of those things were part of it and it was extremely challenging but one of the most um one of the best decisions I think I've ever made for my life and my my spiritual path was doing that 40 days um hermitage uh, but that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, that's that's incredible for sure. That's that's pretty intense. Like I've done, I've done like the the entry level kind of stuff with that. I've never done a, a solitude retreat like that. That's that's got to take a lot out of you for sure. 
Yeah. And then, so to get to sort of that initial connection where you were, um, you reached out to me because of my path working content. Yeah. So that's, um, that's tree of life. So uh, mostly uh, it, there's a lot of um, other types of mystical philosophy um, type stuff in it, but for the most part, it goes by a structure according to the tree of life. Mm -hmm. And so that is related to Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, um, that aligned with me, right? Because I think um, certain things when it comes to tools or um, different things, I think that we personally use as as mystics, right? So I consider myself a mystic and other people may or may not, you know, consider themselves mystics. But I think that most people who have some sort of spiritual path mm -hmm. understand that they're creating some sort of language or some sort of personal dialogue with something. You know, whatever that might be with the universe, with a higher power, with God, with the spirit guides, with whatever it is, most people on some sort of path are, are nurturing that type of relationship. And so for me, like I said, I've been a lifelong mystic. So I've always felt like there was some sort of, whether it's a synchronicity where, you know, like the right time, the right place, you know, the right words get said and it's just like, ha ha ha, you know, yeah. like. I get it. I get it. You know, like, and for, for anybody that's not 100% sure, what, what does mystic mean to you? A mystic is somebody who um, attempts to find answers and knowledge in places that don't involve um, gaining the information in normal ways, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we think of uh, gaining information most of the time you're reading it from books or you're learning it from another human being or whatever a mystic attempts to gain information in other ways mostly by um, expanded or altered states of consciousness or through practices or rituals that involve like we say nurturing some form of relationship with uh, a divine form of other in some context That's beautiful. Um, yeah and and so, yeah, for me personally, I feel like there's always been sort of these things here and there where it was just always um, little messages or like right place, right time for me to get just the right thing that I always needed to help me on my path. Um, and enough that at times it was it was all striking, you know, like my yeah. knees would go weak and I would crumble to the ground because of just how coincidental the coincidence was. It's creepy sometimes. Right. It's kind of scary, actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's been my experience. And so when I say that I was led or things were aligned, it's not so much that I went seeking to find these tools, but in a way they found me. And so um, we talk about tarot, right? Mm -hmm. So tarot is tied in a lot with the tree of life um, because the elements of the tarot are tied in with the different archetypal elements of the tree. And so I was aligned with tarot. 20 years ago um and it came my opportunity to have that tool that could very quickly give me information um and the more consistently i got the information the more i became confident in the tool and yeah. the more consistently it came accurate for sure so it was like the more i started to trust it the more it just became mind-blowing how um, accurate it was when I started to use them. Um, now, with that said, there seems to be something with tarot where if you're trying to read for yourself, 
in a situation that you're emotionally attached in one way or another, you're likely not going to get anything that is helpful. That, that um, lunar lunar emotional energy pulls you off course with its gravitational pull. It definitely will distract you for sure. Um, we, we mentioned briefly before we started about Carl Jung and the way that he looked at the the relationship between the archetypes of tarot and um, zodiacs and and kind of the psychological aspects behind that. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Because your your eyes lit up when I said that, and like I said, this is one of my obsessions right now too. Yeah, I love archetypes just in general, whether it be Jungian or just thinking about archetypes. It's actually one of the tools that I use when I assess um, people for before I start working with them. I okay. go through an archetype. I go through an archetypal assessment with them, just seeing what their inner archetypes look like. So, what is your inner royalty? How's your inner king doing? You know, like how's your inner magician? How's your inner lover? Right, like going and looking at these different parts. So, like I really appreciate that aspect of being able to see us all. Um, um, with these sort of symbolic and archetypal ways in which we are and to be able to explore them in um, a fashion that helps us to be able to expand. Sure. And so, yeah, there's lots of different ways of looking at archetypes and how they're um, inspiring. And I actually at Goddard College, um, again, very unique school. We actually had at one of our residencies, uh, a guest speaker come in that taught us in our psych class how to incorporate tarot into this, our psych um, oh. interaction with people, into our psych therapy sessions. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> As, I've never even considered it before, you know, because we're not going into therapy, you know, to get our tarot read. But yeah. it, and it wasn't so much about reading for anybody but allowing the, the client to really explore the cards, you know, and see if they connect with any of the archetypal energy in any of the cards, and then using that as a conversation piece to move forward and like seeing what symbols they focus in on and then really bringing up, you know, what is the meaning behind those different symbols and that it can very much help the therapeutic process just by exploring these different archetypal elements and what they bring up for people when they look at them. So definitely, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, that's like, I understand sometimes when people are skeptical about it, it being something um, as far as predicting future events, stuff like that. But just the, the the wealth of information that I've learned about myself from meditating all of these symbols. I mean, it's it's something that like every single symbol has so much information packed into it. And that's something that the unconscious gets to play with. Right. And like that's how it speaks to you. That's how it brings information up to you. So if you give it symbols to that, it resonates with and it's like, oh, yeah, and it starts to throw stuff back at you. You can really learn some interesting things about yourself for sure. Yeah. Definitely. It's fascinating. And then when you start to see it um, in relation to the tree of life and pathworking the tree of life, according to um, the ancient Jewish mystical ways, mm -hmm. um, it becomes an even sort of bigger, more complex journey that happens because there's yeah. uh, there's like uh, imagery you, like you can you can create imagery in your minds that is used to explore these different archetypes. And it crosses over with um, some of those other like Hebraic ideas of exploring the archetypes of the tree. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah, Kabbalah gets pretty, pretty in depth. Did you, did you use that in your, in your therapy? Like the, just that, the sense of structure that it brings to, I don't know, let's say the psyche, but just like the levels of creation, I suppose. 
Not when I was in clinical work. Um, I might have with maybe one or two clients just because they were very specifically interested in it. Okay. Um, but I did try to keep a lot of things very clinically separate. You know, um, spirituality is a kind of a touchy thing when you're in the clinical world. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, there were certain people that were open, you know, to spirituality and whatever, and I would help them go in that direction. But it wasn't until after I left the clinical world that I really started focusing on um, doing the pathworking stuff with people primarily. And okay. it's because I found it to be more effective. I really did. Really? Um, yeah. Then just kind of straightforward treatment planning, talk therapy, even stuff like EMDR and um, EFT, like all of those things. Uh, even somatic experiencing, all kinds of things. I went and did all sorts of trainings and therapies. Um, and what I found to actually be more effective was creating spiritual experiences, okay. creating luminous experiences. Because that's what I found was that, so I worked primarily with addicts or people that were like co-occurring co co disorders, um, uh, trauma and addictions. Okay. And what I found was that we could often, you know, with our treatment planning and whatever, we could find ways to get people stabilized to the point where they were, you know, uh, productive members of society. Mm -hmm. Right. But most of the time they were still miserable every day, you know, just holding on, wanting to use, wanting to drink, you know, the dry drunk and, you know, like they weren't thriving. They weren't happy. They were just sur surviving and doing it sober, which everyone was proud of them for, you know, like for that's, sure. that's really all it was. But the few situations that I would find where people's lives would absolutely change, you know, like where all of a sudden they were thriving and they were successful and they were happy and doing well, most often had to do with some sort of spiritual experience, some sort of numinous experience, they call it, whether it be a near-death experience or like a psychedelic experience or um just something, whether it was part of a religious type thing that happened or, um, yeah. yeah, that, that, that's ultimately what ends up really changing people dramatically. And that's really where I became motivated to do things that involved creating these opportunities for people to have spiritual experiences, whether that be through like hypnosis, doing the path working tree of life stuff, or whether it be the plant medicines and the journeys that they can bring on. So. That makes sense. Yeah. One of one of the biggest problems that I have with myself, with the the people that I work with, is the sense that like, you know, you go through the form, you go through the steps of of doing stuff, and it doesn't really make the deep changes a lot. And I, I try to give people practical tools as much as I can, but it's like at the end of the day, like the idea of separating mind, body, and spirit from each other and not I'm just gonna treat the body, I'm just gonna treat this one particular thing, it doesn't work. <laughs> It's um, it might alleviate some of the symptoms for a while, but no, I, I had a similar experience. I, when I was younger, I was working in um, clubs. I was a DJ, and I was doing all the things that twenty-three-year-olds do when they work in clubs at that age. And um, I was dealing with some issues of addiction, and it wasn't. Um, it got pretty bad for a while, and it wasn't until I had a um, my first encounter with DMT was I had a very full-blown like stereotypical experience out of body spoke with a Shekinah like energy and the the symbols that were given to me were 
essentially telling me like you've got to process the stuff that you're hiding from you have to let go of this and i have been trying to hide it i've been trying to cover it up with all these substances and like trying to get away from these negative feelings and it just it, it wasn't working and i just had this black hole inside of me and then after that i came back and i was in shock for several days because like, that was insane um, but I started to slowly process this stuff and I started, that was the last time I did anything. I got sober after that immediately. And I have been for several years now. And it wasn't because I had to force myself to do it. It was because nobody had ever taught me, Hey, you have to, you have to process your emotions. <laughs> you have to feel this stuff. You have to deal with it. And yeah, no, it's, it's powerful having those encounters. Yeah. And like I said, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to be in a role where you can share those experiences with people, you know, like where they've been holding on to something for a really long time. And then you're able to be there with them when you see it release, yeah. you know, or, or, or whatever it is, you know, when they come to terms with something that they um, had been fighting or resisting or, you know, whatever. Um, and then to see people's lives transform afterwards. It's so so cool it really is and this is an interesting time in history yeah. i think where um people are starting to embrace these medicines again and mm -hmm. it's interesting as far as what it what it means for us for humanity right um in yeah. one of the videos i was watching it was saying like imagine if back in the 60s we had embraced um psychedelics for therapy instead of going with like the opiates and like every, the direction that things did end up going in like how things might have been different if it's right yeah and that's interesting to, to think about too so one thing that i try to i try to warn people about if they're going to do plant medicine I'm, I'm not not against doing it just like to, to have the mindset shift when you go into it is that look like we've been conditioned that medicine is something that takes away everything that like you take this pill and it gets better you don't feel the pain anymore and your body hopefully heals it with the plant medicine it's more of a you're going to go through this in a way that you're you're guided and you're it's it's safe you know there's somebody there with you to help but you're going to have to confront this and it's a it's a you have to go through it to get out of it kind of deal and i think that sometimes people abuse it more as a drug and that, that's where you, they kind of get a bad rep from is because people are using like i'm going to try to change the way i feel for a little while versus doing that work and i think the integration is is what really trips a lot of people up for the the preparation and the intention to raise right? so thinking about people at a rave or people at a festival or whatever yeah. taking mushrooms thinking oh it's just like any other party drug they're just gonna have a fun time but they've got like underlying demons so yeah. as soon as the mushroom kicks in they're gonna start having a bad trip because yeah. that's what needs to happen they need to see <clears throat> their demons they need to see the things that they need to see in order to be able to transform but they're not going to want to have that happen in the middle of the rave right no. so so and and if they weren't prepared for it you know if they just thought that this was going to make them feel good and yeah. no this is something that's supposed to transform you in whatever ways and for some people it might be a euphoric experience they may you know just immediately see god and be really happy you know but like for for a lot of people you see darkness first you see, you see the things that you need to see to to bring your attention to what you need to bring your attention to. But generally, it 
continues to evolve once you, um, if you're not resistant to it, mm -hmm. if you let yourself experience, if you go in with the intention of knowing that these, this is what you're doing and you have a guide there to remember, you know, and remind you of what you're doing, that that's different, right? Than the person that just sort of like, ah, what's happening to me? Because <laughs> um, yeah, if you, if you go with it, if you allow yourself to experience it on the other side, you do usually get to this really like wonderful transformative place. So yeah. yeah and that's exciting for sure. It is. It's it's because it's life changing because that those those demons that people are confronted with, they're there. They're not something that's coming in because you're intoxicated. It's something that you've been repressing, something that is and it's a part of you. And I think that's what really freaks people out is because they feel the parts of themselves that they haven't allowed into their awareness and probably their whole life. And it's the same stuff that comes up when you're having a nightmare. It's like the, the monsters in your, in your dreams are part of your brain. Like that's something that is, it's a part of you. And if you separate yourself from that and you try to say, no, 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 that's not me. You use up a tremendous amount of energy trying to keep that repressed. It's running around doing its own thing in the basement of your mind causing havoc, banging on the doors, trying to get out. And then, you know, you're you're constantly drained because you're keeping the suppressed, but then also you're you're not fully integrated. You're not fully embracing your your true nature. And there's a lot of power in that because I mean that part of you that is terrifying to you is also like a fearsome thing. It's a fearsome part of you that you could be taking into the world with a very um invigorating uh feeling of energy for sure. Yeah, and I, I like that analogy. It's interesting that you like push them away, push them down, shove them out of sight. Um, and but yet the fact that they're still there—that's the reason why you're getting the depression diagnosis, the anxiety mm -hmm. diagnosis, the PTSD diagnosis. Like those all are just going to stay with you until those things are dealt with, yeah. right? If if they just keep getting shoved down like that, you're just going to keep dealing with the repercussions in your mental and your mood states. Um, and so, yeah, that's these plans allow the opportunity for you to open up enough, right. And um, feel compelled to actually look at them and mm -hmm. to allow them to show themselves and to deal with them. And that's a big part of the preparation process yeah. is really um, having a plan as to where you're going, what you're doing with, you know, to what extent you can have a plan when it comes to mushrooms. Like they, they <laughs> but, mushrooms also have a plan. But you can, yeah, you can have an attention and you can be prepared for things. Like you know what your triggers are, you know what you've been through, so you can kind of prepare for what could come up. And then you have some ideas already with the guy that's with you around how we're going to handle this to get the best out of it, right? We want to move you through this experience. We need to, we need to fight these demons, you know, we need to, we need to, or we need to, we need to pull that lonely child out from the dark hole, you know, and, and find them into the light again. So whatever it is that we, we need to do, we need to do. And, um, it can be so valuable when something that has been suppressed for so long finally isn't. And yeah. there's this relief that comes. Um, and I don't know that there's so many other ways that it becomes so, I don't want to say easy, but yeah. so accessible to do that. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, once you're, once you're in it, you can't get away. So you're going to, you're going to deal with it one way or another um, for people that, don't have the opportunity, at least not frequently, to do these kind of medicines. What kind of practices do you recommend? Just like 
you know, just on a daily basis, the stuff that they can do to kind of keep themselves balanced, keep themselves from getting too far into that stuff that would cause the bad trips or would, you know, completely derail their lives. Yeah. Um, there's something called holotrop holotropic breathing. Okay. Um, which can be really helpful for um, actually inducing it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can think about, sometimes people have intentionally suppressed these things, right? They don't want to actually experience them. So going into a journey, somebody might be actually wanting to access um, And so you might be trying to bring that to the surface. So there's certain types of breathing that you can do to like amplify and stimulate the system to actually bring on that experience that you're trying to deal with. Um, but then, yeah, otherwise, there's other types of breathing, right? So it's really about how you're breathing that's going to get you either amped up or calmed down, right? Your nervous system is directly controlled by your breath. One of the only systems I think that we have voluntary control over and also involuntarily control over and that controls our nervous system is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, breathing, I think everyone will just say good breathing. But um, other things, uh, visualizations, right? Like um, pretty standard, you know, going to those calm spaces in your minds. Um, other ways of getting out, you know, like if there's things that need to be purged or right, like the, the demons that need to be dealt with, I found ecstatic dance can be really helpful for that. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, there's something called five rhythms. The five rhythms? We're going to go through five different rhythms. You have the flowing, you know, which is kind of this very melodic. And then you have staccato, which is that very masculine, like, marching beat. Um, the chaos, lyrical, there's a number of them. But to be dancing, basically, it just allows the body and the sounds to move your body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it will the weights. And the different rhythms can elicit different things out of the body moving and sometimes just by doing it it can release something you know, trauma wise or whatever from the body as the person's connecting with the music and connecting with the emotion and moving their body so that's another way to have sort of a um an experience that would be like similar to being under a plant medicine not necessarily under okay. a plant medicine um and then isochronic tones, binaural beats, yeah, um, are, are others that will, will get your mind into an altered state of consciousness. At least you can get down into beta, deep beta. Deep beta, um, okay. Yeah, that that would be very close to sleep, right? Just on that edge of sleep, and you're in yeah a very interesting state of consciousness there. So. Okay. There's a number of different tools um, if people are looking to play around with altered states of consciousness but not ready to necessarily um, take a, a powerful psychedelic substance. Yeah, fair enough. And and I usually, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert on it by any means, but I, if, if somebody comes to me and does ask the personal question, should I do this? I always do advise that they start with some sort of meditative practice just to, to kind of prime themselves, maybe not for like years and years and years, but like, just to get into the feeling of being able to recenter yourself, um, understanding that you don't have to be controlled by your thoughts. And like, you know, that's a lifetime practice for most people, definitely myself is like completely um, disassociating from that, but um, it certainly helps. And so you said the holotropic breathing, um, the static dance, is there any particular playlist that you like, or is that something that you have set up? Yeah, 
I would say look up five rhythms. Five rhythms? There's a lot of different playlists associated with five rhythms, but I really like that as far as a tool, the way it flows from one to the other, because it allows you to have an opportunity to elicit from different um, places of emotion. Okay. And yeah, so just anything that comes up under five rhythms playlists. Gotcha. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you've got, we talked a little bit before we started about the the community that you have. Um, that's something that's been on my mind a, late, a lot lately is um, the the way that our society, the way that culture these days has turned into just the, the separation of family units. And then I think that people growing up in that environment where they don't have that super close connection with, you know, parent figures with brothers and sisters or you know the culture says hey if these people if you disagree with them if they don't like your career choice you should just screw them like don't talk to them anymore if you don't get along with them as kids like just just dip out or whatever and you know i i think that that causes a lot of issues because one of the most fundamental things that we struggle with is that need for acceptance that need for familiarity that need to 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 be loved and i think that when you take that family and you you break it apart and then you go out into the world and you take that same brokenness with you it creates a lot of the issues that we have and a, a lot of the the loneliness that you know I, I think i've had more friends call me talking about how lonely they are than anything not even so much clients just you know just friends it's like man this sucks like you got two two people in the world that you talk to you know and um so like how how is that um how did you guys get into the the community building and you know, how do you think that that affects people just on an individual level? What you're talking about makes me think of um, relational cultural theory. Um, it's basically the idea that humans are at their best. They thrive when they're connected to others. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we live in such chronic isolation. Yeah. Right? yeah. I wonder why everybody's so sick and everybody's dealing with such mental health issues because we thrive when we're connected and we're all feeling extremely isolated for many reasons. And I think feel like there's a lot of agenda around that too, unfortunately, trying to get us apart. And that's unfortunate. But I think that that's really where this um, mission is rooted in, is that understanding that we thrive in connection. So how do we do that? We need to start incubating more local community. Yeah. Like, was a period of time where people did live, you know, very localized and they supported each other on a community level and they, um, they, they probably had a lot more peace and were a lot more, um, I don't know, they felt, felt a lot better because of their connections, like they needed each other. Yeah. And now, you know, you can just you can go to the grocery store, you can go to Walmart, you can do whatever you need to do without even really interacting with anybody but a cashier. And, I don't know that that's that's really the way to do it yeah. and i think that's the solar puck mission mm -hmm. right it's um, to reassess you know like how have we been doing things how's it working out for us yeah like, we have the option to do it differently like we can and even like we don't need to do some you know like major revolt or revolution or whatever to do it we can just very quietly and you know just go about our business making our communities for and sure so that's that's what we've been doing. You know, Sava Cooperative has been um, connecting people that have fans with people that want to start a community, building community 
and, and just allowing everybody to um, have uh, an opportunity and a forum and a platform to be able to negotiate different agreements around how to how to incubate and grow them and how to make a network um, yeah. involved with it. And it's working out quite well. That's good. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think that was one of I forget who said it to me, but somebody told me recently that like whatever you grow up with in the beginning phase of your life, you have to do the opposite in the in the in the latter half. So for me, I was super isolated my whole whole life up until early twenties, and then um, that's when it started to shift a little bit. But my whole childhood I was very very isolated, and so it's my natural habit to just zoom back into that isolation if anything gets stressful if anything gets weird um if things fall apart i'm just like okay i'm fine whatever i'm gonna go chill and i think that the last year or so is when it finally started to click like i need to go talk to people <laughs> i need to be around others and you know because I, I have a lot of social anxiety so it's like it's like it doesn't matter. Like I have to <laughs> to go introduce myself to, to 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 regular people to somebody, and I think the amount it, it's hard to define it um, in like a quantitative way. But the, the the difference in how I feel just in general, just walking around, I know where I live, I know people around me. Um, it's there's so much less stress, and it's hard to explain really why. But I just I know that I'm going to see people that I know and can go talk to every single day i'm going to go to the gym there's people there that i know i'm going to go to the coffee shop to these gas stations i'm going to go to church i'm going to go to my family my friends it's like and then i've got stuff out throughout the week and it's not about being busy with people for the sake of being busy it's about and like you said intentionally building that network and that community not towards an end of like i'm trying to you know gain some sort of power for myself but for the connection and i, I think people really undervalue that Mm -hmm. don't feel like they have anybody and that want to 
want to be part of a community. I just don't know how. Yeah. It's, okay, well, here, we're so cooperative. We're yeah. putting together a bunch of lands with people who want to join in a community together. Like, think about what it is that you're interested in doing in a community. You know, like, create your proposal, your vision, or have how you fit in, and let's find you your place. Yeah. Match you up with a community that fits your vibe, with people that want to do projects just like you. And, uh, yeah, other people that are looking for friends, too. You know? Yeah. Definitely, yeah, and I think it's it's really tricky too when you grow up with like the I, I don't envy the younger generations that have on top of the the normal stuff they also have the social media nonsense and it's like it it definitely makes it a lot more difficult because you get used to looking at people very superficially you get used to judging people and and yourself very superficially and it's it's hard to orient yourself away from that image that you're presenting. To others because we all do that anyway and it's just like these these particular tools just magnify that effects a hundred times one thing that's helped me a lot is that I just the understanding that at the end of the day when you get out of your head and when you stop trying to like how do i make friends and just say how can i have a connection with this person like how can i make them feel seen how can i make them feel heard because i think that so many of the problems that we have with people doing just crazy stuff, you know, is it comes from wanting attention and, and not in like a, a childish way of like, well, pay, look at me. It's like we want to be seen and accepted for who we are. And most of the time we're scared that if we we play the role that we're supposed to and we fit in the way we're supposed to, then we're not going to be valued for who we really are. And so like the natural reaction is just try to overcorrect and like stand out and they like do all this crazy stuff and like draw that attention in. But then, you know, we isolate ourselves at the same time. And I think a lot of people that I talked to were kind of balancing between one of those two things. They, they feel like they're invisible and they, they're just not seen at all, or they feel like they're very visible, but like nobody quite accepts them. So that's, that's awesome that you, that you guys have that. That's a, where, where did that idea come from? Um, well, it first came, I think, um, I had initially gone to my first ashram when okay. I was in grad school. Somebody had brought me to an ashram, and it was a community, you know, and it had a room that was associated with it, but, you know, they had their, their fields of solar panels, and I got a chance to, like, go into their, their big community kitchen, and you could see, I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, yeah. this, is, this is very neat. Like, it's possible like people live like this and it was it was a bunch of you know old hippies in their 60s or you know <laughs> living there together and but i just thought it was like the coolest thing and after that i had gone back from that residency and i just started to um look up intentional communities in my area to see yeah. if there was any around me and i went to ic.org intentionalcommunities.org okay and it's like a it's a nationwide, I think it might actually be worldwide database of intentional communities. And I ended up finding one that was nearby me and went and connected. And that was like my first experience of living in a community and um, moved on from there and had lots of experiences after that. But um, yeah, that was my first experience was in an ashram in Vermont. That's awesome. I, I live near Asheville, North Carolina. That's where I grew up at. So I, I know a few people that are that are into that. Um, it wasn't, it didn't quite fit for me, but I do, I do like the idea. Um, and I definitely do like to hang out with those people when I can. Um, 
But also, it's been incredible talking to you. I, like I said, I'm such a huge fan. Where can other people find you? I'm going to put some links up for us, but if you just want to let them know like how, how they can connect with you, how they can work with you, how they can get in touch with all of your, your content. You have top-notch content. You really do. I like I, I don't know if I said it on the air, but um, I've been following you for about a year now, and you're one of the few creators that I will 100% always watch the whole video. And I can't say that about a lot of people. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if I'm not sure at first, I'm going to watch the whole video because it's always very valuable. I appreciate that. I enjoy making my content. So I appreciate that other people appreciate it. And yeah, you can find all my links at salvacooperative.com. That's okay. probably the best way to find me. But yeah, TikTok, I do at Pathworking, uh, Salva Cooperative, and Myco Method on TikTok. Um, okay. And my videos are all kind of the same, you know, they, they have the voiceover, some are poems, some are yeah. quotes. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. And it is kind of different, I think, than maybe a lot of other TikTok stuff. So it is. And, and last question, where, what, for somebody that's interested in going down this route of the psychology and the mysticism, where would you suggest starting like reading, um, you know, obviously your channel, but I mean, just like what, what, what other kind of areas of learning would you recommend? Well, like I said, mysticism isn't about learning from books. Okay. Good point. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so, so you have to, um, you have to invite it. Okay. Basically that's, that's the first step. You have to actually in your mind, in your heart, welcome and invite yourself to experience being a mystic. Okay. And so that that makes that initial connection and then just keep your eyes and ears open and i think those synchronicities end up being what shows you where you are and what just happened as a result of that invitation that's a good answer <laughs> perfect well thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us um i'll be in touch with you soon let me stop the recording real quick and i'll